are now listening to an inspirational message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where Dr. Michael Wesley Sr. is pastor. Please join the service in progress.
clap your hands, everybody, tell the Lord, thank you. Amen. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Amen, 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 amen. Father, we thank you now for the privilege that we have to glory in your love, to honor you, to worship you. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the truthfulness of your word. We pray now as we come to this moment of speaking that you would lift again your human out of self, that you would fill us freshly now with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and through us. Bless now the words that are in our mouth and the meditation that are on our heart, that it may be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We ask it all now in the name of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank God. Amen. Man, y'all keep singing like that, boy. you going to hurt somebody in here. Make us hurt ourselves. Amen. Amen. One of the class members of the class of 73 at West End High School was Mr. T.R. Dunn. T.R. played basketball and volleyball and he went on to play at the University of Alabama and went on to play in the NBA. Amen. I remember those days. I was a rival trying to play there. Yeah. That's when I was a track stir. I wasn't a track star. <laughs> there is a difference. <laughs> but we enjoy competing against one another. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord this morning comes to us from the gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter, Matthew chapter 11. We have been uh, studying in the book of Matthew continually, and we have completed chapter 10, and we started last week with chapter 11. And uh, so we want to pick up now in chapter 11 at the 16th verse and going through verse 24. And we'll look at the context of what's involved in this passage. And the word of the Lord reads, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it will have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. This is the word of God for the people of God. I, I want to talk this morning about two negative responses to Jesus. Two negative responses. To Jesus and those negative responses are criticism 
and indifference. Criticism, we all know what that is. It's where people talk about you and they cut you down and they try to make it seem like what you're doing ain't nothing. And indifference is where people just ignore you as if you ain't nothing, nobody, that what you got to say doesn't mean anything. And both of those are critical responses and mistakes. They're mistakes that were made in Jesus' generation, and they are mistakes that are being made today. And our nation certainly is guilty of both. And not only our nation, but among our communities and members in our churches and all of the places we go in life, we see the same two negative responses. And I know that, that, that people think that, that they are empowered because they have the ability to criticize or, or to look down their noses at other people and make themselves feel superior. And people think that they have it going on when they say to another person, "You speak to the hand, you don't mean nothing. And, and we ignore and we throw up our nose and we throw up our head and we do all kinds of gestures to make it seem as if we are the important one and someone else is less than. But I came to warn you this morning that those are inappropriate responses and must change. We have been talking over the last little while about the responses of Jesus and it came like this. For the first 10 chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has gathered a collection of testimonies from different sources of people who could verify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And in the past messages, we have laid out those particular testimonies, the testimony of history who lays down that he came down as a descendant of of Adam all the way down through the loins of Abraham and all the way down through the loins of David to show that he had that Jewish ancestry. We saw the testimony of the virgin birth affirming that Jesus is the son of God. Saw David, man, David, young, should I say, this young man who was the father, Joseph, in agony over what he was going to do with this new girl that he was about to marry who showed up pregnant. And it took the Holy Ghost to say, uh, Joseph, don't be afraid to marry this girl. This thing is of me. And I just imagine in my mind that Joseph went, holy who? But then we have the testimony of the father who opened heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Testimonies go on all the way through. Ten chapters, nine chapters, we see Matthew gathering that evidence. And in chapter 10, he identifies the 12 and he calls them by name and he sends them out on a short-term mission trip to preach the gospel. And he warned them that when you go, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a dangerous assignment. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He said, but I don't want you to act like a wolf. I want you to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. But I want you to be aware of men because men are the wolves. And he goes on to give them the information like that. And we followed that. And, and now when we come to chapter 11, we start seeing the responses to the ministry of Jesus. And in last week's lesson, we showed you the first response, which was the response of doubt. And doubt is a response that Christian people have. We looked at a good man, John the Baptist here. And John had doubt. And why did John have doubt? Because John's circumstances had changed. He had been a free man, a wonderful man, out preaching the gospel. But now he's in prison. 
in the dungeon of the prison and that produces doubt and I tell you all this morning that when your circumstance change it will cause you to have doubt you can be on top of the world but when that world caves in it can mess with you John had doubt and he, all he had were the testimonies that came from his friends his disciples so that was an example of worldly influence. And when all you have is what they say, that will make you doubt. Then John did not have the complete revelation. He had an incomplete revelation. And see, that's where we live. We live in the tension between where we are right now and where we're trying to go. And God doesn't always fill in the blanks for us. And because he doesn't always tell us what's coming, we sometimes get frustrated and we'll doubt and give up just before the dream come true. And John had doubt. And he had doubt because of unfulfilled expectations. You know how it is to expect something to happen and it doesn't happen. He expected Jesus to be the Christ and he expected that the Christ when he came would set up his earthly kingdom and, and run out the Romans and bring on free food and everything else. And when that didn't happen, John doubted. And you and I are no different. We have these dreams of grandeur. We have these dreams of what our life is supposed to be and where we should be at certain stages in our life. And when it does not happen like that, doubt can fill our hearts. So doubt is a legitimate response. But Jesus didn't beat John up because of his doubt. He comforted him instead and gave him more miracles and more works to assure him that he was who he said he was. So this morning we come to another series of doubts, which is another set of responses. And these responses are criticism and indifference. Let's look at how it occurs. Jesus, in the 15th verse of this 11th chapter, gives out a call. He gives out a clarion call for people to respond to the message of Christ. Here's what the words say in verse 15. He said, he that hath ears, let him what? Hear what the Spirit say. That's not the only time Jesus said that. He said that even after he got to heaven and he was writing the book of Revelation and giving it to John on the Isle of Patmos, he spoke it again. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, when, you, when the word of God goes forward, it's not going forward just to be made noise, just to have noise. The word of God is going forth with an expectation that there will be a positive response, that there will be a response of faith. That you would believe, not only hear what you hear, but act on what you hear. But what we see here in our text, even as Jesus calls for him that hears, let him hear. He knows that people don't do that. And the people in his day didn't do it. And guess what? The people in our day don't do it either. So, so look, listen, look, look at him. Jesus being a master teacher, verse 16, verse 16, he goes on in and he said, what then shall I liken this generation? See, great teachers know how to present content. And great teachers understand that to help people who are in darkness to see the light that they need to use word pictures or illustrations or metaphors or similes, something that will bring the lesson alive. So Jesus is doing what the rabbis did in his day. In the Midrash, which is one of the documents the Jewish rabbis used, that was a very important phrase. What shall I liken or what would this, how can I describe this generation? And that's what he was saying. How can I describe this generation and their response to me? And he says, he gives the answer. He said, they are like children 
in the marketplace. Now, 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 now. I know, I know we don't have many marketplaces here. But in, in, in the ancient Greek world, Roman world, Jewish world, in every city that was a market, it was called the Agora. The Agora was the marketplace during the week or during other days. It was just a big empty space, kind of like a public park. But on market days, people would bring their carts and their wagons and they would bring all their stuff and they would sell, kind of like what we would call a flea market. It was just kind of an open place, and, and they would be selling their wares and doing all kinds of things and milling and mixing, but they also had to bring their children with them. And, and it wouldn't be long. The children would be running through the marketplace and doing their things and having fun, but eventually they'll all kind of get together and begin to play games. And they played the games that reflected the lives that their parents were involved in. And in Jewish community, there were two public events that every Jewish child knew about. And that was weddings and funerals. And so when they would play the game, they would play a game called wedding. And in a wedding game, they would have some girl, they would choose a girl, and, and she would be probably fix herself up a little fancy and maybe put on a shawl or something to be, you know, dressed up like a little bride. And then they'd have a boy who would be the groom. They would have a friend who would be the friend of the bridegroom. They would have maids, and, and they would, and somebody would play the flute, and they would go skipping through the town. And, because it was, it was always that way, a parade through town, and everybody would be clapping and jumping. And, and so Jesus said, this is what this generation is like. It's like children in the marketplace who are playing the game of wedding. And we have piped on you. Someone has played the flute, but you didn't want to dance. And then he gives another illustration. See, y'all know what that is, don't you? You, you? you know how it was when you was a kid. Y'all used to play games. We used to play games. Man, I remember my, my own children, well, when they were playing, when they were kids, they played Superman. They take take a towel and put it around their neck like it was their cape and jump off my bed. Uh, boy, if you don't get out from there. But that's what they would do. You know, when I was a kid, we used to play church. As a matter of fact, they teased me for a long time because I used to like to be a preacher. And I would baptize sticks in the ditch. Obedient to the command. <laughs> I baptize you, my brother Stick, in the name of the Father. We play games. Come on now, don't act like you ain't never played. My favorite was a, as a kid was hide and go seek. <laughs> we played rock teacher. We had a lot of good games. The kids don't play games no more. They do it like this. They got, they got it like this. <laughs> but in the Jewish community, they played they play wedding. And then after they got tired of playing wedding, they would play funeral. And funeral, I, I, I don't know, maybe somebody would lay out and they'd let them carry them through the community. But in the, in the Jewish community, in a, in a funeral, they would, have, they would have dirges and they would have professional mourners. They would have people who would scream and who would shout and they would put ashes on their face so they could look sad like they were really grieving. And, and, and so this is what Jesus is saying. He said, you know, sometimes the kids would be playing funeral so somebody would pipe. And invite the other kids, come on, join us in pipe in, in, the, in the wedding game. And the kids would say, no, I don't want to play that. And then they said, well, come on, play funeral with us. And mourn, be a mourner. And he said, no, I don't want to play that either. So what you want to do? Well, I'm just going to sit back and talk about y'all. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to criticize. Because I'm not going to play that old dumb game with you. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly the way this generation responds to me he said rather than getting involved in the merrymaking in the fun times and 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 dancing and joy and joy and fellowship and worship we'd rather sit back and be cynical and look down our noses and talk about folk who are trying to worship God it's happening today in the church it happens today in our nation. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to pass any laws for real that help people. But every time somebody step up, then they want to jump on Facebook or jump in front of a news camera and criticize the work that's being done. Oh, come on now. Don't y'all pretend you got folk in your own house. You got folk in your own community. 
let you try to do something and they're going to come. The only way you do not face criticism is that you do absolutely nothing. If you don't do anything, you don't have to worry about anybody criticizing. But if you dare take a stance, if you dare come forward, if you dare be a disciple, if you dare be a follower of Christ and own him publicly in any kind of way, look out. The criticism is coming. But don't worry. And he shows us the application. He goes back to what was going on in his day. He said, and John, meaning John the Baptist, the good man, the one that Jesus has just eulogized, said John came and John was in this funeral mode. He was not dancing. He was not shouting. John lived alone as a recluse in the wilderness. John ate locusts and wild honey. He didn't have friends. When people came out to hear him, he was just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. John was not playing. John was not laughing. John was just preaching the gospel of Christ and asking men to repent. But you know what they did? Rather than accept John, at first they said, oh, that's a prophet. There haven't been no word from heaven for 400 years, so this must be the Christ. But then after a while, they stopped listening to John, and they started criticizing. He's a wild man. He got a demon in him. It had been all right for them to say he was a wild man, but to say this man who had been sent from God to open the door, to make the way for Christ, to say that he has a demon was going too far. And then he said, and that wasn't so bad. He said, but then the son of man, he was talking about himself, Jesus, came. And he was opposite John. He was in the wedding mode. He came socializing. He came sitting among sinners and prostitutes. He came eating and drinking. And he came turning water to wine. And he came doing mighty miracles. And you know what they said about him? He's a wine bibber. He's a drunk. You know what? That is so amazing to me. That people are not going to do anything. They don't want to repent. They don't want their lives changed. He came with all of this power. He came as the representative from heaven. He came presenting the truth. And rather than accepting the truth, they chose to criticize. Isn't that the way it is? Donald J. He doesn't want to accept reality. Doesn't want to accept the truth that these problems that he's having are of his own making. And now he chooses instead to criticize the judges, to criticize the president, to criticize the other people that sit on the other side of the aisle. Rather than changing his behavior, it's much easier to criticize. And can I tell you, yeah, yeah, that, that just blows my mind how it happens every day, it, it, even, even in here. This is a godly church. It is. God bless it. Thank God for it. But we have some folk in here. They ain't going to do nothing. But they're going to look at you. And when you get up to do something, they're going to say, look at her. See, look at her. See, she done done everything but died. Now look at her. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her. Who is that? Who is he? Where, where you think he going? What do you think he doing? He think he all that in the back of the chip. They ain't nothing. They ain't going to do nothing but criticize. But let me tell you what Jesus said. That criticism don't get you nowhere. Because wisdom will show the work. Listen to what it, what it, how he does that. He, he does it like this. He says, now they can criticize John. But what they going to say about all those people that came out there to the wilderness and got baptized by John? What are they going to say about all those people whose lives have been changed as a result of hearing that man preach? And then what are they going to say, what are they gonna say about Jesus? They're going to tell the one man who was born blind that you can't see now? You know, because you're saying that he's something, he ain't all of that? That man could see. He said, listen, y'all can say what you want to say, but the one thing I know, I was blind. But now... I see you can criticize him if you want. Now, can you tell a lame man who had never walked and Jesus give him limbs that you're going to talk about him? Man, that man said, you say what you want to say, but baby, I got my dance on. Now, you talk about me as much as you please, but the more you talk, I'm going to stay on my knees. 
I just want you to understand. Listen, listen. You can't change my mind about who the Lord is. What you going to do when you criticize the church and people's lives are being changed every day? What, what, what are you going to do about this mother who's lost a child and, and, and the church comes around and comforts? How are you, how you going to change that from a child who was out in the world and, and, and God brought them in and their lives got on the right track and their minds got fixed and their hearts got set in the right place? Wisdom will, will show its own work and criticism doesn't change it. And so he, 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 he speaks to the, the issue, the response of criticism. Now look at indifference. In this 20th verse, something happened between verse 19 and 20 because Jesus' tone changes. Look, in 19, he's saying, but wisdom is justified of her children. Wisdom shows its work. But in verse 20, it says, then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. He, he began to, to get on the case. He began to warn these people. The very cities, now when he's speaking of cities, he's not talking about the streets and the avenues or the buildings. He's talking about the people. If the people that lived in those places where Jesus had demonstrated his mighty works, they should have responded with repentance. And may, may, I, say, may, may I say, look, we come every week to the church, but what do we come for? Do we, do we come for cheap entertainment or do we come to have our lives changed? Do, do we come to get on track or do we come just to be seen, to be in the place? Do we, do we come to hear a word that I can live on, some strength that I can lean on, some rock that I can stand on, some water that I can drink from, some fountain that I can sip from and refresh myself? I, I come, I don't know what you come to do, but I come to have my soul restored. When life gets too much for me and I can't handle all of the things that God puts on me, I have to come somewhere. Every now and then I need to hear a charge to keep I have and a God to glorify. Every now and then I need to hear amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I need to go somewhere where I can say, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, oh, whither shall I go? I don't come to criticize. I don't care what you got on. I don't care where it came from. I'm not here to decide, oh, I saw that suit at Charlie's Hot Dog Shop. I don't care. It's not what I come to do. I don't come to look down the road to see who's sitting down there. Man, you know, I sit in here with my eyes closed and look up to my, unto the hills from whence comes my help. Because let me tell you something. If you're in church and you look around, you're going to get distracted. Come on, I, I need to help somebody. Y'all not going to believe this. But when we first built this church and the first time I stood up here, I was walking over this way, man, and I started over here and I saw a hoochie mama. She had on dress too short. I said, let me go back this way. Go back this way. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can get messed up if you look around in church. You better understand your purpose. Come to have my life change. Come to get some help. I come to get some strength. I come to give some hope. See, when, when I was in the doctoral program, we went out to Garden Grove, California, out to Robert Shuler's church. Robert Shuler was still there. He came out to speak to our class. And he said, pastors, like he talked, like Shuler talked. He said, your number one job on Sundays is to give the people hope. You're not there to preach to your seminary professor, but you're to give people hope. I, I know when people come in here. I know what kind of jacked up life they come out of. I know what kind of trouble people have had in their homes, on their jobs, among themselves. How the challenges on the inside has caused you to turn yourself upside down. So I didn't come in here to play. I came in here to tell you about Jesus. About somebody who can save anybody. And so the question is, how do you choose to respond? 
So you can respond with criticism or you can do like the people Jesus is talking about here now. You can respond with indifference. And that's, see, that, that, that's what happens. That's, that's what happens. Look, look at what he says. He said, he said now, woe unto you. He started talking about these cities in Galilee that he had been to, Chorazin. Chorazin was a little fishing village about two miles to the north of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Capernaum. It was nestled up there among about 45 other little cities around the Sea of Galilee. Little fishing villages where the people made their living off of fishing off the Sea of Galilee. But those were the places where Jesus went. See, when Jesus started his ministry, he didn't go down in Jerusalem. That's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees were. He'd have went to the cross a whole lot sooner had he started down now. But he, he, he went up there in the northern parts of Galilee where the common people were. And he went from city to city, and he preached in their villages, and he healed their sick, all kind of sickness. I mean, there was no hospitals even open in Jesus' day because he healed them all. You know, he had enough medicine in the hem of his garment to, to heal a whole nation. And, and, and so, and, and so he, he's saying, whoa, cursed are you. You cities of Chorazin that, that, that saw all of these miracles. Listen to what he says. He said, for if the cities, and he, and he, he says it again, you Bethsaida, which was another one of them cities. If the mighty works were done in you that had been done, if the same thing had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Now, where is Tyre and Sidon? If, if the Sea of Galilee is up here in the north part of of, of Israel, then the, the, over near the Mediterranean Sea were the Phoenicians. And that's where the cities of Tyre and Sidon were. And these were evil cities. These were people who practiced Baal worship. These were people in seaport towns. There was a lot of traffic flowing through there. So it would be a lot of prostitution. It would be a lot of gaming. It would be a lot of things because sailors come in town. They want a quick fix. And they go and they find their fix and they get back on the ship and go somewhere. And so a lot of that was happening in cities like Tyre and Sidon. And democracy of every kind. And Jesus is saying, listen. You people in, in the cities of Galilee, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, if the people that lived over there saw a portion of what you saw, what did they see? They saw the man of God. They, they saw him heal all kind of sick. They saw him give people eyeballs that never had an eyeball. They saw him make limbs for folk who had never walked. They saw him put his finger in the ear of people and unstop their deafness. They saw him stop funeral possessions and touch the casket and give the folk their loved one back. They saw all of that. And they did nothing. They did not repent. They did not want the message. They saying, yeah, we look at your miracles and they are entertaining to us. But you, we ain't thinking about. That's a shame, isn't it? But that's the state of our nation. That's the state of our church. That's the state of our communities. And God is warning. So look at what else he says. He says in the 22nd verse. Uh, 23rd verse, and you, Capernaum, and where was Capernaum? Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. It was his adopted hometown. Somebody said, get your theology straight, Pastor. Capernaum wasn't his hometown. He was born in Nazareth. Yeah, he was born in Nazareth, but he adopted Capernaum as his home. See, when he went in Nazareth, we read that in the responsive reading. When he went to the synagogue after he came out of the wilderness, been baptized, ready to start preaching. He stood up in the synagogue and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken heart to set at liberty to them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he sat down and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ear. Jesus was letting them know that I am the Christ. But because he grew up among them, they picked up rocks and they would trying to stone him, kill him. So he left out of Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum and Capernaum became the home base of his ministry. Now what did Capernaum see? 
Capernaum saw the nobleman who had a servant, a son at home, got his son healed, and Jesus didn't even go home with him. What, what did they see in Capernaum? They, they, they saw Peter's mother-in-law. She was a sick sister with a fever. <laughs> Lord, help us. <laughs> There's a lot of sick sisters with a lot of fever, but, but he was able to handle them, okay? What did they see in Capernaum? They, 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 they saw the woman with the issue of blood come crawling through the crowd, saying that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made whole. They saw that girl leave out of their shadow. They saw two blind men healed and given their sight. They saw them, a man, four men, tear up the roof and drop a friend down. And right in the presence of Jesus, and they saw Jesus heal that man and get up from there. Oh, Capernaum saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, they didn't do nothing. May I help you this morning understand what I'm saying? I'm coming a little closer now. Because, see, we are, we are in this nation and we are seeing the hand of God moving mightily all over the world. And we still don't do nothing. We see wildfires tearing up Hawaii and tearing up the state of Washington. We see the floods drowning California. And now we see floods drowning Florida. We see earthquakes shaking up different parts of the world. We see God moving in mighty ways. And he keeps saying, can you hear me now? And the more God says, can you hear me now? The more we say, talk to the hand. The more we say, I don't want to hear you. But see, I can't help myself because he woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. He put breath in my body. He put food on my table. He put a choice of clothes in my closet. He put money in my pocket. He made my enemies my footstool. And so I can't help but to tell him, thank you. You can talk about me, whatever you want to say, but thank you. On my way to the bank, I'm going to say thank you. On my way home, I'm going to say thank you. Whatever the Lord has done. You got to understand. You got to understand. Just You cannot be indifferent. You, you cannot be as if the Lord does not do anything or as if the Lord is not present where you are. See, that sin of indifference, let me tell you what it's going to cost. It's going to cost you more in the end. This is what he said. See, Capernaum was the city of privilege. It was the city that the Lord himself lived in. And there are so many of us who live in this wonderful nation. This is a nation of privilege. And just because we've been privileged, don't think the judgment of God won't fall. And there are people who are in the church. And just because you're in the church, a place of privilege does not mean that you have had a changed life. See, when you come, you're supposed to come yielding. You're supposed to come listening. You're supposed to come searching. You're supposed to come crying out and lifting up your hands and rendering your life to God. See, church by itself, without the changed life, is just cheap entertainment. Come hear a song. Come hear the band play. Then you want your money back if they don't give it to you like you think. That's all church is if you're not coming for the life change. You're not coming for the Christ. He's the Christ of your crises. And he can do anything but fail. So the people in Jesus, they responded. Look at this, man. Look at this privileged city. This city of Capernaum. And, and they were so filled with pride. They thought they had it going. Let's look at what he says to them. And thou Capernaum which are exalted under heaven. See, they were thinking that they are religious and because Jesus lives here and because this is his home, oh, we're just going to just float our way to heaven. And look at what Jesus said. Now, I need you to look at this carefully because he says to them uh, that thou shall be brought down to hell. Instead of going to heaven, the way the Greek phrased this, he's saying, no, you're going straight to hell. And, and that's what he's saying to a whole lot of privileged people. People who think that they got it going. No change of life, just got the front. Just got the look. Just got the attitude. Oh, I'm in the church. I'm here on Sunday. So what? 
the devil here too. Can I tell you? Yes, he is. He came in with some of us this morning. Yeah, he did, and he took a seat, not just beside you, in the same chair. And he, man, he messes with you, and rather than listening even now, he's telling you, make him shut up. Don't let him keep talking. Tell him we don't want to hear that, because that ain't nothing but the devil. And you got to understand that the more privilege you have, the more condemning you can be. Look, look at it, look at it, look at it. I'm done. Look at it. He said, he said, okay, Capernaum. He said, you're going to be brought down to hell. He said, because look, if the mighty works which has been done in Sodom, that city would still be here even to the day. Now you think about all of the bad cities you know. If I would ask you off the cuff, just tell me, just name some corrupt cities. Vegas? <laughs> oh, y'all didn't work hard at that. Oh, that's your favorite. <laughs> New Orleans? New Orleans? Huh? What else? New York? You can think about any of the cities where all of the stuff goes on. Where they got the nightlife. Where they got the gaming. Where they got the big timing. But they got everything that you could want to get into. Those are the cities we think. Sodom was worse than those. Sodom had a problem. Sodom had a homosexual problem. Now, all of the cities got some taste of it now. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand. But Sodom had, it's so bad that when the Lord was ready to warn Lot to get out of there, the Lord himself wouldn't even go. He sent two angels. And the men in Sodom wanted to rape the angels. And the angels struck them with blindness. That didn't even slow them down. They just went trying to find the door anyway. <laughs> but listen, Capernaum didn't have that problem. Capernaum didn't have a drug problem that we know of. They didn't have a homosexual problem that we know of. They didn't have a debauchery problem that we know of. This was the city that Jesus lived in. This was the place. This was among the people that he fellowshiped with every day who saw miracle after miracle, who heard sermon after sermon. And he says, that city is going to be worse off in the judgment than Sodom. And do you know why? It's because they did nothing with the Lord. His presence was there, but their hearts did not engage him, were not drawn toward the master. They did not yield their lives to him. And so I just want to tell you this morning now, you can, you can sit in a, in, a, in a church all day, but that won't make you a Christian un unless there is some acknowledgement of him. Unless there's some willingness to open your heart and ask him to come in, there will be no difference between you and the people of Capernaum. Now, out of all of the cities in the world, Capernaum was not a bad place. No crime, no statistical, nothing, not listed on the who's who of cities that were the worst off. This was a great place. But he said it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom with all of its noted problems. No other city in the world has been destroyed by fire and brimstone like Sodom. And Jesus is saying it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for the people who sit in privilege and does nothing with it. He taught it again and again. He taught it in Matthew chapter 7. And I'm done. He said, he said, there was a man, two men who built their houses. One man went through the trouble of digging down and finding the rock and building his house on a rock. And the rains came and the floods rose and the wind beat against it. But that house was able to stand because it was built on a rock. He said, but another man built his house on sand. And the wind came, and the rain, and the floods came, and, and the storm came, and great was the fall of that house. Why? Because that man did not put in the effort that was necessary to make sure that his life 
was on solid foundation. Now, that's where I'm going to leave this message. What about you today? What kind of foundation are you building on? Is church Sunday morning coming to hear about Jesus just a place of socialization? Is it just to say I was there? Is it just to look around and say, see, I'm among the goody people. I go to church, but no life change. No change in heart. No have mercy on me, God. You know how wicked you are. You know how crazy you are. You know how crazy you have been. And you know how crazy you can become. And without the Lord, you can do nothing. See, that's what I've learned. I've learned that without him, I can do nothing. See, I've tried over and over and over and over again. But I found out that there is no other way that I can live without you. I just can't do it. I can't, I can't make it. I don't want to go to bed without saying, Lord, thank you for the day. I don't want to get up in the morning and start on an activity without saying, lead God and direct me as I go forward. When, when a car missed me, I said, thank you, Jesus. When I see an ambulance or a fire truck, I say, have mercy on somebody's family. Because I know it could have been my family. But the Lord spared us at that moment. And so I can't help but to tell him thank you. And when I come into the house of prayer, it doesn't matter who's here or who's not here. If the Lord is here, I came to praise your holy name and tell you, bless you, Lord. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being so kind. When I have to cry by myself, I tell him thank you for at least drying my tears. Thank you for comforting my heart. Thank you for walking with me. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you for keeping me by your keeping power. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be? But I know where I am. And it's all because of the grace and mercy and power of God. And I just came to tell you, criticism gets you nothing. Indifference gets you nowhere. Only the right response of faith and trust in Jesus will bless you and help you to make it to where God is trying to take you. Doors of the church open. Doors open this morning. Might be somebody here. Might be somebody here who's outside of God's family who may want to give Jesus a try. This is your moment. This is a time where your life can be changed. Pray where you sit. Then get up from there. And come on, give God your heart. Bless your night. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, sing it. Come on.
from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where we are reaching the world for Christ. Located at 2135 Jefferson Avenue Southwest, Birmingham, Alabama 35211. For a copy of a CD or DVD, you can reach us at 205-925-5972 or visit us on the web at www.greatershallow.org. For an uplifting message, please join us for the next broadcast.